Hello and welcome to the Rare Possessions Podcast. This is episode 15 on chapter 15 of Life of Nephi by George Q. Cannon. We want to invite all of our listeners to subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, in Google Play, on the Stitcher app, or in SoundCloud. That way you won't miss any of the episodes or any of the chapters that we have, including any of the new books that we will be highlighting and featuring in upcoming episodes. So this is Nick Galetti, host, and with me always is Jared Riddick from Book of Mormon Central. Hello, hello. So here we are in chapter 15, moving on. It's a little bit shorter for us, and that's okay. We don't mind having shorter episodes every now and again. But in this one, uh, George Q. Cannon goes on to describe again the land where Nephi and his family landed and what they did. And he kind of describes a land that almost feels like the Idaho of South America, a land of potatoes. A land of potatoes, a glorious, glorious. I went to school at BYU-Idaho. I am very, very fond of the potato. (laughs) These seem to be rather specific points that George Q. Cannon seems to be focusing on. Mm -hmm. What might be some of the relevance to talking about potatoes? Because I don't recall potatoes being specifically mentioned in the Book of Mormon. Another do I. I think it, it might be about making it a little bit more real for his readers making them realize that the Nephites were, were like them. They were people that had to eke out their living the same way. Um, so I think, yeah, it's about making the connection between the people that, between the Book of Mormon and between his audience. Yeah, we're a lot like Nephi. Yeah. We, we all eat potatoes. Indeed. So we also have in this chapter uh, a fair amount of, let's just say, assumptions on the part of George Q. Cannon, and a practice that happens today by many, uh, although you know their assumptions apply these things to different locations. So these assumptions have to do with, we might say, prophecies within the Book of Mormon that allude to where the Book of Mormon took place, Mm -hmm. land of liberty and so on. What are some of those quotes and what are some of the assumptions that George Q. Cannon makes based on those quotes? George Q. Cannon, whenever he refers to the Indians, is generally referring to the people, the Native Americans in North America. What Um, we call North America. What we call North America. Uh, There was some terminology confusion between now and then. Often, North and South America as a whole were referred to as one continent in the 19th century. Uh, You don't hear that as often anymore. It doesn't make sense to us as much. But it was often one continent, this land. So you have Native Americans being the descendants of the Nephites and Lamanites that he places in South America. So again, shows this hemispheric view that was so prevalent among uh, readers of the Book of Mormon for so long. And and still is there today. That That was what I thought, frankly, when I was a kid, when I was a young adult reading the Book of Mormon. Uh, there's not a lot to go. <laughs> well, there's nothing that says that they couldn't have wandered as a people over thousands Indeed. of years. You know, it's it's possible. Migratory, there's plenty of migrations in the Book of Mormon that, sure. that show that's possible. Yeah. But we have these quotes about the Book of Mormon lands being a land of liberty and things like that. And again, these prophecies that are often asserted nowadays as evidence of maybe where the Book of Mormon took place. What are some of the cautions that we might have as modern day readers in making assumptions is that speaking to one specific place. I mean, we have Cannon, George Q. Cannon, talking about these same quotes, but applying it to South America. Yeah, often we forget that the American Revolution inspired similar revolutions across Central and South America as they threw off the chains of their colonial governments as well. George Q. Cannon would have known about that. I mean, it's in, literally in living memory for him, uh, the things that are going on there, Simon Bolivar and the liberators down in South America. And so the prophecies to President Cannon could have been just as applicable to South America as they were to North America. So what value then do we have in taking those kinds of quotes and applying them as a basis for Book of Mormon geography? I think we have to be very, very cautious with any application of quotes. Too often, the old joke is that the Mormons have a fallible prophet, 
but none of them believe that. We often take prophetic utterances, or maybe by the prophet himself, or members of the first presidency, or members of the Quorum of the Twelve, as thus saith the Lord moments. And we, we really shouldn't. Uh, Joseph pointed out in a quote that I will currently apply, a prophet is only a prophet when he is speaking as such. And oftentimes we confuse prophetic, uh, a prophet's opinion with, uh, with doctrine. And we have to be very, very cautious there. So that's all we've got on this one. It's still an interesting chapter, and we invite you to stay tuned and listen to a reading of chapter 15 in The Life of Nephi by George Q. Cannon. Chapter 15, The Life of Nephi by George Q. Cannon. The animals of the country, Lehi and his company, doubtless found a very great value to them in their labors and movements. Besides these, it is probable they obtained many valuable vegetable productions which were peculiar to the country. The potato is indigenous to that region. It seems to be its natural home and was found growing there in abundance by the first Europeans that visited the country. It is not unlikely that Lehi and his people also had it for use. Wild fruits are now very abundant in places contiguous to the spot where we are told they landed. One writer in describing a continuous province says, The wild Indians bring from the woods many delicious fruits, pineapples, plantains, bananas, nisperos, mames, guavas, etc., as well as sweet potatoes, camotes, cabbage palm, palmitos, and yuccas. If Lehi and his company found wild fruits so abundant, they had no difficulty in living in plentiful ease until the seed grains they brought with them matured. Everything contributed to make them feel that it was a choice land above all other lands, for with all the other advantages it possessed, the soil was exceedingly fertile, and the climate was delicious in temperature and healthy. Short after their arrival, Lehi informed his people that they had learned through a vision from the Lord that Jerusalem had been destroyed, and he said had they remained there, they also would have perished. He drew the attention of his children to the goodness of the Lord in warning them to flee out of Jerusalem, and in the preserving them until they had reached this choice land, which the Lord had covenanted should be for the inheritance of his seed forever, and also for all those who should be led out of other countries by the hand of the Lord. To those brought out of other countries, this should be a land of liberty, so long as they should serve God according to the commandments which he has given. But if the iniquity should abound, the land should be cursed for their sakes. He told them that this land would be kept from the knowledge of other nations, for the reason that, if they discovered it, they would overrun it, and there would be no place for an inheritance. This explains why the world remained so long in ignorance of this continent. It was hidden from the world and was almost a world by itself for centuries, its people having no communication with any other nation upon the earth. Generation succeeded generation. Numerous and large cities were built. The whole land was covered with people. The arts of a high civilization were cultivated. Revolutions, wars, and great changes were effected, and all the busy scenes of human life were enacted upon this continent. And yet the inhabitants of other lands were as ignorant of its existence as if it had belonged to another planet. This ignorance continued until the Lord moved upon Christopher Columbus to penetrate the great ocean which stretched between it and Europe. Men called it the New World, and it was a new world to them. And though the evidences that highly cultivated races had occupied the land for ages are abundant upon every hand, those who do not believe the Book of Mormon are still as ignorant of who they were or where they came from and all of their history, exempting those facts which have been brought to light by the examination of the ruins of their cities, 
as they were when the continent was brought to the knowledge of the world. Lehi gives the true explanation of the reason why this continent should be concealed from the knowledge of other nations. We see how it is today. This continent is so desirable that there is a steady stream of people flowing to it from all countries. They are filling up the land, and the Lamanites, who have occupied it under the promise of the Lord to their father Lehi, have been crowded back from both oceans until they have but small spots to live upon in the center of the land, and even these are coveted by the people of other nations who have come here. This would have been the result long, long ago had the world known of the existence of this continent. But the Lord concealed it and guided those only to whom he desired to occupy it, so that all his promises concerning it might be fulfilled. Lehi told his children that if those whom the Lord should bring out of the land of Jerusalem should keep his commandments, they should not only prosper here, but they should be kept from all other nations and have the land to themselves. There should be none to molest them, nor to take the land away from them, but they should dwell safely forever. It was the failure of the ancestors of the Indians or Lamanites to do this that brought upon them and their children evils under which they at present suffer. Lehi, before his death, told them, by the spirit of prophecy, what their fate would be if they fell into unbelief and rejected the Lord. He said the Lord would bring other nations unto them, and he would give them power, and they would take away from his descendants their lands, and they would be scattered and smitten. We have only to look around us to see how completely and exactly his predictions have been fulfilled. And as these predictions have come to pass, so will others also come to pass respecting the nations of the Gentiles that will occupy this land. They will not be permitted to utterly destroy the descendants of Nephi or the children of Lehi. And if they themselves did not repent and keep the commandments of the Lord, destructions would fall upon them. Among other plain and definitive predictions which Lehi made unto his children was one respecting the birth and mission of the prophet Joseph Smith. He quoted from a prophecy of Joseph, the son of Jacob, who was sold into Egypt, to the effect that a seer shall the Lord my God raise up, who shall be a choice seer unto the fruit of my loins. His name was foretold. He was to be called after the patriarch Joseph and after his own father. The predictions of Lehi which he gave to his children before his death are very precious, because of their covering so many points and being so plain. He was a great prophet. The Lord had revealed to him a wonderful amount of knowledge concerning the future, and he was especially favored in having such a land as this given, by covenant of the Lord, as an inheritance to himself and his posterity. He did all in his power to teach his children and his people the ways of the Lord, and to make them in some degree worthy of the favor which had been shown unto them. But with Laman and Lemuel and those who associated with them, his tender entreaties, his solemn warnings, his severe rebukes, and his inspired and pointed predictions were all of no avail. They had gone from bad to worse until their hearts had become like flint, and no good impression could be made upon them. They were full of malice and the spirit of murder. While he lived, his presence had some restraining effect upon them. He was still the father and head of the people whose authority and counsel, though often disregarded by his rebellious offspring, could not be altogether set aside. But he was scarcely buried before the rancorous hatred of Laman and Lemuel, and their adherents broke out against Nephi. It was his admonitions concerning their iniquities that enraged them. His rebukes, they said, afflicted them. They viewed them as an attempt upon his part to dictate and rule over them. He was their younger brother, and they declared they would not have him as a ruler, for this right belonged to them, they said, as their seniors. They proposed to kill him. They brought affairs to a crisis.
Thank you for listening to the Rare Possessions Podcast from the archives of Book of Mormon Central. For the latest information on additions to the Book of Mormon Central archive, or to inquire about archive items like this one, visit us online at archive.bookofmormoncentral.org.